It's always difficult to keep personal prejudice out of a thing like this. Wherever you run into it, prejudice always obscures the truth. I don't really know what the truth is. I don't suppose anybody will ever really know. Nine of us now seem to feel that the defendant is innocent. But we're just gambling on probabilities. We may be wrong. We may be trying to let a guilty man go free. I don't know. Nobody really can. But we have a reasonable doubt. And that's something that's very valuable in our system. No jury can declare a man guilty unless it's sure. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. Uh, with us in spirit, as always, is Ian Woodington, and this is the start of our... Um, uh, our our tribute to Ian, our tribute to Ian episodes. Um, uh, considering that this is the first one, and I don't think I'm gonna get emotional, but if I do, I would not rather get emotional with anybody than uh, my co-host uh, of uh, Below Freezing and my co-host in life. I would say, uh, Melissa St. John. Melissa, how are you doing? I'm good. So uh, the film that we are discussing today is 12 Angry Men. I will I will let all of our listeners know that uh, we had not planned on recording t- today, which is the day immediately following our viewing, but we got like 10 minutes in and you were like, no, we need to record yes. tonight. Yes. And I think I understand why, but we'll get to that. We will. It actually <laughs> ties into this movie pretty well, I feel like. So, so um, uh, but first... Uh, we are going to give you, our listeners, uh, a recommendation this week. And uh, this is a joint recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it is not just one film, but two films, which will eventually be three films because we haven't seen the third one yet because it hasn't been released. Melissa, what are, what's the title of the movies that we're talking about? Fear Street. Yes. So we are talking about um, the, the newest trilogy of films um that uh is is on netflix right now called fear street um if you are unaware the very very basic backstory is that fear street are a series of books that were written in like the late 80s early 90s rl stein owned every single one i believe oh, well there were a lot there's yes. a good chance you might not have no, because we there had were just like, there were like 200 <laughs> oh, oh, that's what i'm saying I, there oh, was no, a lot I, babe when i was trying to oh. explain this to you i think we had <laughs> Roughly 200 of them. Okay, but like you just said, you think you do, which ties into 12 Angry Men, which you might not, because well, testimony, it might not be, it's... I mean, you, I can I'm, call. I'm trying to, I, please I can, don't. It's it's late, we don't want to do that. A life, yes, phone a friend. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they're based on the R.L. Stein books, and um, this director named Lee Janiak, who really, she she's made some indie films, she's kind of made her bones in TV, but she's a horror fan, and um, was given the opportunity to do this. This was before it even went to Netflix, a chance to adapt uh, Fear Street into a movie, and then Netflix kind of came on board and said, let's make a thing. Let's make a trilogy of movies where they're connected, but that essentially each movie could stand on its own. 
Um, and I think the rollout of it has been really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess we'll briefly talk about just the, the first one and then the second one because we haven't seen the third one yet. So the first one takes place in 1994 in Shadyside. And there's also Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Shadyside is this town where a bunch of bad stuff happens. And there's this lore of this woman who was a witch and they took her hand. And her spirit is basically... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Taking over people yes. and basically, Possessing. yeah, possess- thank you. That's You're exactly welcome. the word. And and getting them to kill other people. And there's this whole myth that if her body could be reconnected with her hand, that um, this would all end. Stop. Yeah. And they think that they've done it, but they haven't. And so the the, the first one is 1994. Very nostalgic for people like us. I mean, every five minutes we were like, oh, I know that song. Oh, yep. I know that song. Oh, I see that picture. Oh, I know what they're talking about. Which is great. Very nostalgic in yes. that way. Um, and it plays kind of like in an early '90s horror film. Yeah, it's very it, it sort of fits into that realm. Um, uh, we think it's resolved at the end, and then it isn't. Which, of course, I'm going to be vague because it's on Netflix and it's pretty new. And then the sequel is 1978 about the events that we hear in this movie um, at this camp. Um, and this one and we feels see them unfold. Yeah, yeah, and this one feels more like a '70s kind of slasher movie. Yes. Um, and that's sort of even like our our killer in this one sort of takes on that that vibe. Um, and then the next one, the last one, which which hasn't been released as of today, goes back all the way to 1666, and we're going to see the the genesis Events of it unfold, which we've kind of been alluded to yeah. in the first two. Now, yeah. now, are these great movies? No. Should they be in the book? I I don't know. You're giving me a look right now no, that I, looks like I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not. But but great movies. But they're definitely not bad. They're no, very entertaining. No, and, and I love this trilogy. Yes. And they can stand on their own. I was thinking about yeah. this the other day. If you were to just like jump in and watch the first one. And they, if you're if you're watching the, the first one or if you're just watching the second one on its own, I, it does stand on its own. Yeah. And it doesn't, you're not like, am I missing something if I didn't see this first one? Because they give enough for the story you're watching. Yeah, I, for I, it to be a thing. I, but watching, I totally agree. It, I think it's also going to be fun in like a year from now, or knowing me, months or weeks, <laughs> we watch these again, uh-huh. and we start from. The first. Oh, watch them like chronologically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And see how that plays. Yeah, that would be fun. I, I think like that. That would be interesting. Yeah, but, yeah. but I am, and I, and I, they are very entertaining. I mean, and not in like the way that some of the movies that we watch for our podcast are entertaining. Right. Like, like. They're just fun. Yeah. They're, I mean, and it sounds weird to say that about a gory kind of thing, but um, I I gotta be honest. Like, I I see people hate them on Facebook. Oh, really? Yeah. Like on like certain you know uh, podcasts that I follow and watching the like threads go by and I'm like and I get it. Like if you're trying to watch this as cinema, you're not really gonna do that. Oh, it was just so funny. I I was listening. We'll move on to the the main movie here All in right. a second. But I was listening to an interview uh, with Mark Marin and filmmaker Steven Soderbergh, who I love, and. Steven Soberg was trying to uh, explain the difference between a movie and a film. And uh, Mark Maron was like, well, what's the difference? And there was this long pause. And then Steven Soderbergh goes, uh, films are movies that want to win awards. And I loved it because I think there's a mindset behind yes. it. And, okay. and like the Fear Street movies are not films. They're movies. They are. And, and they're these not are... making this movie going, we're going to win best picture. Yeah. I yes, but that doesn't take away from any of the attention to detail to the craft behind it. Like they are very oh, well attention made. Attention to detail is definitely in these movies. Yes, very much yeah. so. 
Um, so, so, so there you I have liked, it. Okay. Oh, no. What were you going to say? No, I liked the, oh. <laughs> uh, description. Yeah. I, yeah, I, difference. I really, I really <laughs> enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. So simple. Our joint recommendation this week are basically the, the Fear Street series. And even if they somehow botch the third one, which I, I doubt that they will, but even if they do, I'm sure it'll still be entertaining for a majority of the way. I have a question. Are they, because Fear Street, again, as we talked about, lots of books. Yeah. Is this something they see continuing and maybe with different directors doing different so I, think I don't. That would be an interesting idea. So as well. I I don't know if they plan on doing that. I know okay. that because uh, I listened to Lee Janiak in an interview, and um, she was talking about how she thought the convention of doing this was really interesting. They they shot all of these consecutive like it was like 105 days of shooting. Like there were very little breaks in between the films. Mm-hmm. Um, so but and but she was noticed they use the same they're using the same actors. Yes. coming back and yes, the, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but so I but I'm sure it's too too soon to tell whether or not Netflix is going to want to do it that. It would be an interesting idea and concept, would, but, but I, getting but, different directors to find. But what I, what I liked about her interview was she, she wanted to make sure that if she did this, that it didn't feel episodic, like a TV show. Right. She wanted to make three films. I think the problem with that is if it, does it start to feel more like, Oh, this is just a TV show. And what's the difference between TV and film, especially nowadays. But I think important to find that distinction. Right. And from what I believe, these are three different books that were made into this. But um, and some of the books have like a part one and a part two. But most of them, I believe, are just like kind of stories. Yeah. So could they could be. Of course. Of course they could. Right. But then it starts to turn into a TV show. Right. Okay. But and not that that's bad. Yes. That's just no, some, I, it's I just something you. else. Yeah. Okay. Um, so well, there St. John would like it. Well, there you go. Um, so here we go. Uh, we are talking about uh, 12 Angry Men. Uh, this movie came out in 1957. This was directed by Sidney Lumet. Uh, this is not the first Sidney Lumet film that we've covered uh, on the podcast. Earlier this season, we covered Dog Day Afternoon. That was uh, a Patreon request, so we, we did that. Um, Sidney Lumet is in the book four times. He's in it for this, Dog Day Serpico and Network. And while he made other films of note, um, I know recent, it's been popular phrase in the house lately, but like some in terms of like somebody's Mount Rushmore, hell of a Mount Rushmore, mm-hmm. even just those four films. And Serpico, I would say, is his least best of that bunch, but still not a bad film. Um, so he is a hit maker. What movie is considered his? Like- well, it depends. I think it depends on who you ask. Okay. Because so here's the thing. And I can give you a little Sidney Lumet backstory now, too. This is his first feature film. Oh, this one was? Yes. Okay. Ever. Now, he he made his bones in TV. Um, uh, he, he used to do it. Like He was directing two half-hour-long shows a week, uh, which was pretty stressful for him. Mm-hmm. But, but like, you know, he, he, he was Jewish. He grew up in New York. He, he was a stage actor for a while and then just sort of fell into directing um, on stage, sort of lucked his way into a job. Um, directing, um, at, I think it was CBS or whatever. And then because of, so, so, and then this goes into the next part, which is that this was written by Reginald Rose. Um, so 12 Angry Men originally was a teleplay. It was on like okay. an hour long, like this used to be a thing back in the fifties, yes. an hour long, like drama, like, like not a show, not, I guess like I said, like Twilight Zone, but in the way that like each week, different story, different director, different, you know, right. just a different thing. 
And so 12 Angry Men was a 55-minute teleplay that was done. Okay. It's included on the Criterion. I watched it. And as we go through the movie, I'll talk about the differences. But okay. it was a very successful teleplay. It was, re- was well-liked. Um, and so uh, Reginald Rose was approached to turn it, adapt it into a film. Um, Sidney Lamette directed a teleplay that was also written by Reginald Rose called Tragedy in a Temporary Town, which is also on the Criterion, which I it? also watched. Okay. Um, and that's how they hooked up. And then uh, the third main other person who comes into play, and I know I'm, I'm jumping a bit on cast here, is um, Henry Fonda. Oh. Because Henry Fonda and Reginald Rose team up to produce the film as well. In fact, the only reason this movie got made was that because of its shoestring budget that they got, both Reginald Rose and Henry Fonda deferred their salaries. It's the only wow. way they got this film made. So there's a there's a lot there, okay. but it was sort of destined to um to to all work together. And then ra- randomly, like um Henry Fonda had seen a stage production that Sidney Lumet had directed, and so like they all like approved of each other's work and it just kind of happened it, like, to be fell together. Yeah, that wow. this is going to be okay. who it is. So, um, and other things will probably come up as a topic of the movie, but those are, so Sidney Lumet directed it, Reginald Rose wrote it. And, and we got our lead Henry Fonda, who is juror number eight. This is the other thing about this movie too, which is really interesting is that there are no real names. No, it's just jurors. So as I run through the cast list, I'll also try my best to explain who I they know are them by their numbers. Yes. So going through the cast here, we have, Martin Balsam, who plays juror number one, he's the foreman, mm-hmm. um, and he's the one who's trying to kind of get everything together. Um, I also, so along with telling you what they've also been in, I'm also going to tell you if they've worked with Sidney Lamette before, because most of these people have. So Martin Balsam was also in the Sidney Lamette directed film, Murder on the Orient Express, based on the Agatha Christie novel. Okay. But Martin Balsam was also in Psycho. He's the detective who gets killed and like has that weird fall down the stairs. Yep. Okay. That's Martin Balsam. Uh, John Fielder is juror two. He's the sort of meek banker with the glasses. Yep. Now, he, so he was in a, a teleplay directed by Lamette called Stage Struck, but you recognize the voice. I want you to say what you thought it was, but then I'm going to blow your mind when you oh hear it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I heard his voice and it was about halfway through the movie. All of a sudden I'm like, wait, he was the voice of one of the fairies in Sleeping Beauty, the blue fairy. The I, I was, it was between the blue or the green, but it's, now, he sounds like the blue fairy. But he, he has a meek voice. He does. Quiet voice. Yes. He is the voice piglet and now that you now that i've told you that you totally can hear yes. it isn't that's awesome oh my of course that's amazing that's just amazing uh, um, i knew he was but i just want you to okay, know no. i knew it i, I oh, heard his voice no, and i was like i've like, heard this voice before and i won't and then i was just trying to pin it with the time I, and i wasn't even gonna look it up oh that's so funny and then you it's like okay 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 and i was like wait why do i keep seeing all these See, winnie the pooh things it was like oh my I god blow you away piglet no <laughs> you do a lot how did i not get piglet though that's true. Pigs are your favorite. Pig fan. Yeah. Piglet too. That's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so Lee J. Cobb plays juror number three. He's the hot tempered guy. He's the holdout. Um, I will let you know right now in terms of on screen unsung heroes, Lee J. Cobb. He is astounding in this. Um, he did not work with Sidney Lumet again, but you would recognize, I mean, the two big things I think would be on the waterfront. Okay. He's the big bad in that. He's also the detective in the exorcist. Is he? Mm-hmm. He's the one who sort of kind of explains like we think your daughter might have done it, 
he's okay. yeah i'm yeah. starting to see that on mm-hmm. the waterfront though yes oh, i know you're so talking good about. That is a so great, yeah. good um uh eg marshall plays juror number four he's the stockbroker guy who says that he doesn't sweat um, yes, that's that the guy. glasses. He was in a teleplay directed by um, Sidney Lumet called Power. He's also one of the grandpas in Na- National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Huh. Much, much older. This okay. is decades later. Um, Jack Klugman plays juror number five. He is the guy who grew up in the slums. Lets people know um, the Switchblade. I couldn't find anything of note, really, that, that he was in. So I'm going to pass yeah. by him. Edward Bins is juror number six. He's the tough guy who um, eventually like says, hey, if you keep talking that way, I'm going to slug you. Kind of the, the oh, bigger yeah. guy. You yeah. said you were attracted to him at one I point. Said, we'll get to that. Well, no. I, oh. He said that line. I said, well, that's a turn on. Ah, Sorry. Turn on. He attracted. just was very yeah. like. I got you. You know, know. in that moment, yes. He he was. You were you were attracted to him in that moment too. I'm attracted. I'm attracted to him all the time. (laughs) Uh, He he was in that teleplay uh, uh, tragedy in a temporary town. Okay. And uh, he was also one of the guy. He was in North by Northwest as a small role in that one. Jack Warden is juror seven. He's the guy who wants to go see the baseball game. Um, he was also in Tragedy in a Temporary Town. Now, I don't know if you've seen any of these. You, you said he looked familiar. Yes, he definitely did. So you haven't seen Dirty Work, but he's in Dirty Work. Okay. Very, very, very funny, dumb movie. Um, but you have seen this movie, but I don't know if you if this is what you would have placed it. He plays the president in Being There, which is the movie where Peter Sellers is the guy who is the gardener and like becomes sort of... Yep. But like I, that's about it. That I oh, think you would know him from. No, I don't but know. Yeah. But no, his face and he. Oh, he's very. He, act, he looks very familiar. Yeah. He just has a that familiar face. I think. I agree. Um, so uh, Henry Fonda obviously is juror eight. Um, Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, <laughs> grapes of wrath, <laughs> a bunch of westerns with John Ford. Um, he also, I think, his last role was um, in uh, On Golden Pond. He did, he worked with Sidney Lumet in another film called Failsafe. Uh, Joseph Sweeney plays Juror Nine. That's the very very old guy who kind of sides first yep. with him. Okay. Um, couldn't find much uh, to do with him except for he is one of two people who transferred over from the teleplay version of it. So he was in the very first version and also in this. Ed Bagley plays Juror Number Ten. Let's just call him the racist. Oh. Um, because he's the racist. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna. I might say this guy's name wrong. I'm very upset. I apologize. George Voskovec plays Juror Eleven. He's the European watchmaker. Um, mm-hmm. he was also a transfer from the teleplay. So there's two people who came from the original, okay. and their last juror is Robert Weber, who is the ad act executive guy. Um, he did a lot of TV stuff. Okay. That was a lot. I know, but these are. Believe it or not, all of these 12 jurors play a pretty pivotal role in what happened. So I wanted to give them kind of their due. Yeah. Um, in terms of accolades. I will, oh, sorry, really quick. I was going to say um, Juror 11, the ad guy. Yes, that's 12. Juror 12. 12. Excuse me, sorry. He, um, I definitely got like a Don Draper vibe oh, from him. Like, this, like they, they, whoever kind of created that character saw this and was like, this guy could, because he could totally be a character on his own. Anyway. Absolutely. But no, yeah, I, I totally like, agree. Totally agree. Um, so at the Academy Awards, so I'm going to say what it was up for. What what beat it? But I want to stick with this for a second. So the Academy Awards, it was up for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. All of which it lost to The Bridge on the River Kwai, which is a David Lean directed film. Which uh, have you seen it? Uh, no. Well, so this is where I get to indulge a little bit to the audience. Oh. 
since we didn't plan on recording this tonight, that oh. was going to be the thing that I watched tonight just to ha- be able to kind of compare it. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. So, no, it's totally fine. Totally fine. Uh, so I haven't. Wild but card. It, wild card, bitches. <laughs> um, but so, but so I haven't seen it. But it, you know, it is the best picture. It won like eight awards. It's a it's a big deal movie about a group of POWs who have to build um, a bridge over this river. Um, I've heard it's good. I know it's long, but I I can't really speak to it because I haven't seen it. Um, but I want to stick with this for a second because. Um, well, I just have to, I want to go down this tangent for just a second. Henry Fonda was not nominated for best actor for this. Um, Alec Guinness won. He was in Bridge on the River Kwai. Brando was nominated for a movie called Sayonara and some other people of note, but he wasn't nominated. And also on the same, in the same vein, Lee J. Cobb wasn't nominated for best supporting actor. And I know that, you know, lots of good movies, lots of whatever, not everything can win. But Henry Fonda not getting nominated for Twelve Angry Men, I think, in in wow. in like in hindsight, is one of the like like worst like decisions that the Academy has ever made. Well, and we know this now. The Academy has made some very bad decisions. Yeah. But I just <laughs> wanted. But no, this definitely is wow. That's shocking. Yeah, yeah. I'm not not a big fan of that one. No. Um. But however, at the BAFTAs, um, he won best. Uh, foreign actor because the Baptists are British, which sounds kind of funny. Uh, but it did lose uh, best film from any source, which of course it lost to the Bridge on the River Kwai. It was up for best picture, director, actor, and supporting actor again. Okay. All lost to Bridge on the River Kwai. I was going to say supporting actor. Was it? Um, I believe so. Yeah, Lee Jacob. Number four. Yeah. yeah. Uh, three. Three. I know. Oh my it's, God. It's, it's no. It's that's it's that gets confusing. We're going to do our best here to get through it. Huh. Um, it had a, a a Directors Guild nomination, a Writers Writers Guild nomination. Uh, it was on the National Board of Reviews top ten. Um, on the original AFI top one hundred films of all time, it wasn't on. But when they updated it in two thousand and seven, it beca- it was number eighty seven on the list. It is currently number five on the IMDb top two fifty. Here are the top five all bangers. Shawshank Redemption, okay. The Godfather, Godfather Part Two, and probably the most shocking of the bunch, The Dark Knight, oh. and then Twelve Angry Men. Now, I, I like, like all those movies. Right. Ian, when we when we did The Dark Knight, not thrilled with oh. where The Dark Knight was on that list. <laughs> he didn't he doesn't hate the movie, right. but uh, not he, not the right placement okay. in, in Ian's mind. Um, and then this is so weird because there's a couple things, I, and I'm just gonna I just put out there that Ian used to do on the pod. They were like his things, so now I'm gonna do it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to ask you the question and then you just have to answer with yes. So I'm, I'm, we're doing this on the fly, but okay. Oh. Hey, Melissa was 12 angry men inducted into the national film registry. Yes, it was. Yeah. In 2007, it was inducted into the national film registry. Thank you. Good. There's also another thing later on that you're going to have to help me. Oh, with. Okay. Um, in terms of review. So here's the thing. And this, uh, this is a great tangent too, because so critically the movie was, was liked, uh, they uh, most people who who were writing for the, at the time enjoyed uh, A.H. Weiler for the New York Times wrote, although cameras have been focused on jurors before, it is difficult to recall a more incisively revealing record of the stuff of which such peers can be made than it than than is presented in Twelve Angry Men. For Reginald Rose's excellent film elaboration of his fine television play of 1954, which arrived at the Capitol Saturday, is a penetrating, sensitive, and sometimes shocking dissection of the hearts and minds of men who obviously are something less than gods. It makes for taut absorbing and compelling drama that reaches far beyond the close confines of its jury room setting. Credit the power of this lucid study to the fact that it, it, that it attributes 
failings, passions, and prejudices of these talesmen is as striking and important as the awesome truth they hold in a uh, that they hold a boy's life in their hands. Director Sidney Lament, who was making his debut in the movie medium with Twelve Angry Men, and Boris Kaufman, an Academy Award-winning cameraman, made expert use of a suburb cast, which is ingeniously photographed in what normally would have been static situations. Above all. They have made full use of the trenchant words and ideas of the author to plumb the characters of their principles. Um, uh, I'm so used to being, so this is the point of the show where Melissa guesses the Rotten Tomato score, uh, but that's not what we're going to do. Um, this movie also uh, has a perfect 100% critical and a 97% audience score. Yeah. Um, this is the other thing where you, oh, I, hopefully you catch on. You yeah. got to improv. Okay. Um, hey, Melissa, do you like lists? I love them. You love lists? Mm Mm-hmm. Good. Do you love lamp? I Uh, love lamp. Okay. So. um, Did I get it right? You did. Yeah. So again, one thing that Ian used to do uh, was to come up with our lists. And and lately he was trying Mm -hmm. to find these alternative lists, not just like the BFI top 10 or whatever. So we're doing 12 Angry Men. What? We tend to watch a YouTube thing sometimes, which is just chock full of lists. Yes. And it's, uh, this, the channel is called Cinefix. Yep. And they, not too long ago, did a top 10 cinema leaders of all time. Mm. So I'm going to run through this list with you. Let's do really it. quick. Uh, number 10 is the Captain Lieutenant from Das Boot. Um, that is a, a sub movie from 1981. That was actually going to be a movie that we discussed mm-hmm. this year on the pod. Uh, number nine is Ripley. From Aliens, specifically Aliens. Um, number eight is Kambe from Seven Samurai. He is the one who uh, sort of gets our troop together. Number seven is Aragorn from the Lord of the Rings yep. movies, Vigo. Number six, this one I thought was interesting. Uh, Gene Kranz from Apollo 13. That's Ed Harris. He's the one, uh, Mission Control, sort okay. of running the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five, Aaron Brockovich. Oh, yes. Uh, number four and I guess you could, they could have gone with anybody from the MCU, but they went with T'Challa from Black okay. Panther. Uh, number three, this probably would have made mine, uh, Herman Boone from Remember the Titans, because yep. that's fucking awesome. The reason why we're doing this list, juror number eight from 12 Angry Men is number two. And number one, both in terms of cinema and in real life, they gave it to Martin Luther King in Selma. Okay. So that is uh, the top 10 cinema leaders yeah. from Cinefix. What do you, what do you think of the list? list? Good list. I, I, I agree. I think I agree. that's a great list. And of course they do the thing too, where they, it's not just like a blanket list. They really, they try to break down different kinds of leaders and for what moments and things. So right. I highly, highly, if you don't know about Cinefix, subscribe blindly and oh, watch them. They're, it's so much fun. They're great. Watching that. Yeah. And just a shout out to them. When you first started showing me these, yeah. Um, we had so many to watch because I think it was something it was like yes new to us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's like I don't know anywhere from like ten to like thirty minutes of yeah, uh, just I mean in depth yes details on how they came to this, and I think I got really depressed when <laughs> we got caught up we and ran, they come yeah. out so in free. I but know. it makes sense now after oh, seeing so many. Just like they, oh yeah. my god, like. Well, they and, go, they go so in depth and, and the last couple so they've done the top 10, like openings of a film, the top 10 closings of a film recently. And both of those lists and I, cause we, you know, we try to guess some beforehand yeah. and like those two lists in particular, I was like, fucking, I haven't even heard of some of these movies. And I, and like, I know that there's a lot out there I haven't seen, but I pride myself on being like, Oh, I was like, what the fuck is this movie? 
definitely when we see lists, there's quite a few on yeah. each list where you have I'm, not. I know. I just, what the fuck is this? But they, and of course, they always look great yeah. or interesting at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So um, a, a little bit about the plot and then we'll just sort of jump into thoughts and feelings. Um, and, and in a way, the plot is really simple. Um, there is a young, um, I don't know if he's Puerto Rican, but he certainly he's a Latino mm-hmm. uh, 18-year-old who is on trial for murdering his father. And that's that's where we start. And then these 12 angry men, as the title is, great title, by the way, um, go into the jury room to come back with a guilty or not guilty vote. They have to all agree because it's a death penalty case. Otherwise, uh, it'll be a hung jury, and then they have to like, retry the case. Um after the first vote, we realize it's 11 to 1 with juror number 8 being the lone holdout because he wants to talk it out because a man's life is important and he doesn't want to make the decision that soon. And over the course of the next 90 minutes of the movie, they debate, they argue, they they talk about fact and truth and what that means. And ultimately, the decision comes in that they are going to find him not guilty and, and that's the movie. Now, I, I pared it down mm-hmm. a lot. And of course, it's the interplay and the characters that make this what it is. Um, start off by saying that the teleplay is good, but it's it's not great. And it's because a lot of the characters in the teleplay don't get that room to um, become real characters. And right. in fact, the catharsis that we get with juror number three at the end isn't really there. It's just like he just sort of says, okay, fine, he's not guilty, and then they they leave. Um, but anyways, I just, yeah, so that's that's that. So there is there really is so much to talk about. So this was, about, I think, my third time seeing this. Okay. I remember seeing this once, like, during the Western days. I just couldn't remember. And I watched it again about probably two years ago, just okay. on my own. Um, but this is your first time seeing this it. This is my first time. So I, I guess, like, my first thought is, with the little that you knew about it before and then going like what what's your immediate reaction to because it's only been maybe 30 minutes since we've seen it so like what's i mean your... it's a it's a heavy movie mm-hmm. to watch absolutely and yeah to, like to for you to explain the plot and kind of sum up sum it up which you've kind of explained it to me but i didn't watch a trailer yes i've like heard of this movie but yeah um god watching the movie and then just like Sitting here, I'm still trying to, um, I don't want to say dissect it, but like just feel it. Sure. It's just hitting me. But I wanted to do this immediately after because I think, I don't know, I just think like my gut reaction and being able to like talk about it right away for me is, would be a lot better than like in a few days from now, you know, no, no, I, well, totally. I, I might forget things or maybe um, let, let things slip, but it, it is a heavy movie and I'm still letting it kind of like sink in and weigh in. But to start the movie off, is this okay? Yes. Yes. <laughs> to start the movie off with the judge, all like just talking to the jury, telling them what you're going to be doing. So you immediately as the audience going, wait, we just, what? We yeah. don't even get to hear or see it's a murder trial. And when it pans to, the young man, mm-hmm. my note was like uh, looking in his eyes. Yeah. He didn't do it. I don't know. Just and, like, no. And you, looking, had, a, you I had, had a real reaction, real to that. reaction to yeah. that. And then watching all the men walk away and give him a look mm-hmm. as they went. 
was really disturbing to me because the way they were looking at him, you could tell it like, well, Oh, it was just like seeing this guy sit there ready for these people to just like, you know, pass judgment or whatever, but actually seeing them give these second looks just so at that moment, I don't know how many minutes in do you think we are? Uh, less Less than three. Yeah. I wanted to stop it. I didn't like it. I didn't like the feel that that scene had. Yeah. I didn't like it. And I think I was kind of vo- just vocal. Like, mm, no, no. I think I just kept no, saying you, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and what I... So two things I want to say about that is, is in hindsight, what makes that so interesting is that, yeah, 11 of those 12 guys at that moment are perfectly willing. They go, they're going into the jury room to send this guy off to die. Mm-hmm. Not just to find him guilty that he's going to get the chair and it's and some of the looks like Lee J Cobb and the racist guy like those are looks of like like vengeance like like this is going to be justice served right, right? but like some of them are just looking like not that way passively and and but to know that they're okay they're accepting already the fate of this young man yeah is is pretty powerful the other thing too that i i i never noticed i mean i think i maybe i have i don't know but the the judge is so uninterested in the, in the case and not in a way of like, he doesn't care, but like he's, he's like doodling Like it's like, he said this before. Oh, this it is, was so scripted for him. Yeah. Like he's yes. As in scripted. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, like, no. You know, when you say things over and over, like my day to day job, I have, I know there, I pick up the phone and talk to people. Yep. So like I have that, it just comes naturally, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's, what he was saying. Yeah, I got the exact same vibe. It was just kind of like, it's just another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ugh, I, just, I get like goosebumps. I didn't no. like, I did not like that initial feeling. So then, uh, and you mentioned this too. So uh, the besides the first three m- minutes of the movie and the last two, they're in the jury room. Yeah. So oh, it's... I asked you if this was a play. Yes. The second they got into the and it was like them walking in but seeing that this was going to be the space Mm -hmm. you just know this is where they're going to be um got me really excited yeah so it's so it is not i mean it was obviously it was written as a teleplay and then adapted into this um it has since been adapted to the stage um lots of revivals have been done um really quickly while we're here since we haven't delved too far in would you like to hear the cast of the 1997 remake. Oh. Um, so the, the remake was directed by William Friedkin, who directed uh, French Connection and The Exorcist and oh. a lot of other big movies. Okay. Um, so here is our... And here's what's great, too, is um, they definitely... The the cast is more, um, let's just say, uh, r- racially... Um, okay. Uh, God, what's sort of looking for? Like, just more. There's more people yes. of different colors in the movie. But they're Diverse. all still men. Yes. Um, so Courtney B. Vance plays the foreman during number one. Uh, Ozzie Davis, who uh, plays, oh God, I forget the character. He's the old guy in Do the Right Thing. I can't think of his character. Or, um, yeah, I can't think of his character. Mm-hmm. George C. Scott, who plays Patton and is also in Dr. Strange, plays juror number three. Okay. He's the angry juror. Armin Mueller-Stahl plays juror number four. He's been in a, a bunch of stuff. You'd recognize his face if you saw him. I don't know who Dorian Harwood is, but he plays juror five. James Gandolfini oh. plays juror six. Um, that's the like, I'm going to punch you if yep. you say something. Yep. Tony Danza plays juror number seven. Okay. Jack Lemon is our hero in this one, is juror number eight. Uh, Hume Cronin, who I recognize the name, but I don't know him. He's juror number nine. Michael T. Williamson is 10. That's Bubba Gump. 
Okay. Um, Edward James almost as Juror 11 and William Peterson um, from The Skulls. There's our crossover right there. He's the um, well done son. Wow. We live by the rules. We die by oh, the yeah. rules. Um, CSI guy. What a hell of a cast. Wow. Um, I think it was probably unnecessary, but um, but it was made. It was made. So okay. I figured that would be interesting to, to like before it. we get too much further. So no, it was not um, a play first. However, because of Sidney Lumet's theater background, they were able to shoot this thing in 21 days, which is quick for a film. But part of that is because they rehearsed for two weeks beforehand, which again, for film is not very common. Right. And then when I heard them describe about what they did, like they spent a lot of time table reading and talking about characters and stuff. And like, that's, you're a theater person. Yep. Like, like, yes, it is traditional, even in film, even in TV to do a table read, but not for days, right? right? You read it so you can hear it and then now you're moving on. But like, it, it felt even theatrical in its genesis, in its getting it up on its feet. Oh, it was so beautiful. Yes. To watch it. It's, it's, and it was, it's choreographed. Oh my gosh. And I mean, okay, we're in theater. And when you go see plays, um, sometimes you go places where you could just tell there's not a lot of experience or people mm-hmm. are just like, I don't They've, they are taught like the basics <laughs> and you have to start somewhere, obviously, yep, when you learn. That's true. So yes. you learn the basics, but then you learn how to like expand off of that. So, um, Sometimes when you see theater, it's like you still pe- see people that are um, cheating out, cheating out. Yes. You know, don't ever turn your back on an audience when really it's like, yeah, you definitely can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you have to know the rules before you can break them. Yes. yes. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> this movie knew the rules. Yes. But every, every move was like, that makes sense. And there were even some moves where uh, some of the actors like sat down to immediately get back up, but they did it because they, they either somebody said something and it gave them a reason to do mm-hmm. it. It just felt so natural. And I think that is a, a I mean, it, I don't think I know that is a huge reason why watching this made me feel that way. Like I felt like I was a fly on the wall yeah. yes. watching these men mm-hmm. sit here well, with and that's the thing. And like, and, and I will say that like, especially cause I've, I've been teaching uh, acting so much over the last few years, there are things that you can teach playing an objective and tactics and things. Right. But it's really hard to teach somebody what it is to listen to a conversation that you're not a part of for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. And that kind of, that kind of active attention. And because there are people, there are jurors in this movie who don't say a lot. Right. But, we, but if you check in with them, they have to be engaged. They have to be listening because if they're not, then you then you get to rest. But if you're seeing twelve people all focused on each other, even if even if their focus is to be like, I don't want to listen to this, that's right. still that's still giving them your attention. Right. And even though some of these people are are more famous than others, you know, Henry Fonda obviously was the name. He was the star of this. But like Lee J. Cobb had grown like he he was a famous actor at this point with the group theater and then obviously like on the waterfront and stuff. But like all of these people are so engaged in what the rest are saying. And like mm-hmm. that's part of why it works so well is because of the active listening. Nobody checks out. And even if they are checking out as the character, obviously they're still like right, right in there. It yeah. It 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 was uh beautiful to watch is just the so so i wanted to ask you 
again, because this was your first time watching the movie, I, I have a note here that says Mel's reaction to the first vote around the table, 11 to 1. I wanted to ask you about that because, again, you had some, not, I wouldn't say like gas, but you had vocal reactions. And so I wanted to just get your your feeling on that. I, okay, so we're coming, for, I mean, they voted Almost instantly, the, which the, well, they really, wanted to get I, okay. I, I just devil's advocate. They wanted to get a feel for where everybody's thoughts were in the room. Yes, yes, but but I'm not. Um, I don't know. I <laughs> just seeing that kid's eyes. He didn't speak. He didn't say anything. But seeing the look on his face, just and then to go into this room where what that is what. 99% of the people in that room. Oh, right. God, that's math. You know I, I don't mean? know. I don't A know. lot. Yes, yeah. yes. We're ready to just say kill him. And it was like to put this kid on like death row. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's got a weight to it. But yeah, how quick they went and seeing them say Guilty, 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 guilty. And then talk about like, I have a place to be or I have, you know, that like, again, just like hearing these, they're just, they're not these 10, 11, excuse me, men at this moment are not thinking about this kid's life or the lack thereof if they say he's guilty. In this moment, they're like, God, we've already had to be here for X amount of hours. Let's just get this done with and go because yeah. I have shit to do and I'm yeah. going to have a life, which is just appalling. Yeah. But also, there's not a moment in this movie, and I might be jumping, that as an audience member today, it's not relevant. Like, yes. It, it's, or it's not no. irrelevant. And it is so relevant. Yes. And it's so just like, Wow. But you, I mean, yeah. obviously we, well, you, I know you and I have feelings, Yeah. but just to see that it's like, oh my God, there are still, and there's so many powerful lines mm -hmm. in this movie and yeah, it well, took, so, oh my gosh, it took so many where I'm like, yeah. whew. anyway, well, sorry. No, no. And well, I mean, it, 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 we, I didn't think it was going to be 11 to one though. I yeah. did not think that that was going to be a thing. Yeah. Well, and again, it's so, and like in all of its theatricality is part of why I love it this movie because like it's very theatrical of course it's got to be one against the group right it has to be that way um and and you talk about some of these lines they start off very easy and they're almost like plants as to where they're gonna go i mean in some of the lines is we don't owe them a thing they're born liars um uh, uh slums are breeding grounds for criminals yeah and but that's where and and that's where some of the stuff starts to turn like juror number five takes that effect like i grew up in a slum how can you say that right um and his eyes kind of open. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then, and Henry Fonda early on, um, he, back to the racist, he goes, he's talking about what about the what about the witness? She's one of them too, isn't she? Like he's trying to throw it back at them. And and I, I love the um, the way in which like Henry Fonda isn't like some kind of crusader in this. He's just I. And he and he isn't throughout. I just love the way in which he's just simply trying to be like, why can't we like try to talk it through right and he he clearly says i'm not saying he's not guilty he uh, he yeah. says that he's like i'm not saying he's guilty i'm not saying he's not guilty i don't know like there's just reasonable doubt and so he but nobody is giving 
when they're taught when they go through the table and they start saying okay we're gonna try yeah. to convince him yeah one around that's yeah exactly they're like they're just not giving things that are I mean, as an audience member, it's like, okay, well, that's not going to make him go, oh, you're right. Because there's still, if anything, they're adding just more like, but, but wait. Well, and what, sorry. No, but I, I mean, um, God, I just, I don't even know where to start. There's just so many. Well, so to kind of go on with that idea of like what they're, what they're using as their evidence, like this whole idea of like, of facts versus the truth. And and one thing I found so interesting was how they kept saying that these are the facts. Oh. And, but like, and somebody did say facts means that he's guilty or they use those lines that well, line. Yeah, but it's but it's, it's interesting because like the like the facts of the case are that the, the, this guy, this father, was dead. And that they found a knife in him and that when the son came back, they arrested him. Like those are the those are the facts of the case. Right. Everything else is either like what well, pick a word, but it's it's testimony it's 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 what somebody saw but that's that's where a movie like this and another movie that i love so much uh memento they actually try to tackle that head-on is like like the 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 truth is irrelevant if you have the facts because a fact can't be disputed two plus two equals four that's a fact what i saw yesterday is my version of the truth and that's the thing about the truth is that right like fact the dad died yes fact it was by a knife. And that's about where the facts end. That's it. Fact, the son was in the apartment and left. Like, at some, be- yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point. Yes. Yeah, but, exactly. Yes. But the way in which these guys uh, literally are throwing around facts as if that, that it is the truth is really interesting. Yeah. Um, by the way, really quickly, because I we noticed this halfway. You asked me at one point, like, were women allowed to even be on juries at this point? Well, what was interesting is that I didn't... They had a woman bathroom. They did. I checked really quick. In 1957, uh, the, a federal act was passed that women could be on juries, although for the states to... Like, different states adopted different times. But in, in the year this movie came out was the first year that women could serve on, on jurors. Okay. Yeah. Because I saw that they had a men bathroom and then a woman bathroom, but there wasn't one woman there. And, and it also made me go, like, it's a lot of white men. Well, yes, Obviously. of course. Yeah. Um, there's, I don't know. It's just kind of like, but it, this was me just all at the beginning, like going, oh, you know, pointing well, these out. It, but also why I think in its, in its own, maybe, maybe fucked up way, why this movie is so relevant. Right. A oh. group of 12 men getting to decide the fate of a non-white man. Right. Right. It, 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 it's just, it's unfortunately still relevant. And you know, Okay. This was another reason. This was probably the big reason why I wanted to do the pod right after was they're trying to dispute this kid or they're trying to say like he did kill him. I'm sorry if I'm not using the right lingo. Well, yeah. Um, he did kill his his dad because he said he went to a movie, but he can't remember the movie or anything about it and blah, blah, blah. And this is before we hear Henry Fonda like go, but look at the circumstance where he was being asked these questions. Yeah. Okay. So it was before we heard that, but I was like, um, hello, that's everyday life for me. I watch a movie. And then if something bad happened to you and then the police were like, you, you watched a movie with Adam. What What was was it? it? I'd be like, well, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was a movie. It had men in it. There were 12. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know. For me, I was like, that 
a thousand percent. Yeah. Would, you know, but then, you know, it just makes sense. Like hearing you have one person that's really trying to look at this as like our job is to look at it, not accusing him, but is to look at it like, yeah, how can we find reasonable doubt? Yeah. In a way, like if we can find reasonable doubt, then there you go. Well, and, but and, they're they're not even trying to search. They're just like, no, because she said it or because this person said it. Well, and that's why there's a moment. There's a there's a sequence of events that happens sort of in that first third of the movie here, where uh, we get to juror number four, the guy who doesn't sweat, and he recounts the events in which they kind of been presented in court, which I I loved. It's it, like if if somebody made this movie today, we would we wouldn't stay in the jury room. We'd like we'd fade to like the events, right? Mm-hmm. We'd cut away and we'd see what happened. I, I just loved hearing this guy explain it. I thought it was great. I loved the way that the camera sort of pushed in on him as they did it. And I love, oh my God. Okay, so there's a couple of like, I, would, I don't want to call them reveals, but like aha moments. So I wanted to ask you first, what do you think of when Henry Fonda pulls out the same knife? Oh, that was shocking. That's... Shocked the hell out of me. Uh, how he had a knife in his pocket and he was just in a courtroom. Well, that's the fifties for you. Yeah. But then like they just got done talking about how this is such a unique, such a unique knife. Blah blah. Then he points it out. And then my, my gut was like, okay, he just said he went and bought it for like six bucks. Yeah. Of course, a pawn shop or wherever they, this kid bought this, of course, they'd probably say this is the only knife or whatever. And there's well, so many out there like it. But I don't think the kid said that. That was no. Some, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the, the the people who own the shop, yeah, like yeah. if they're talking to the police, they probably were like, "Well, I I don't know." Yeah. Um, that was shocking though that he pulled it out and how that didn't really change everybody in a way. Just well, kind of going. But what's great? So and but that oh, that's what I love about it is that so we we get the thing uh, we get the knife thing. Right. And it's and he's he's not even trying to say that it like that proves him innocent, just that it's not as like the court made it seem like, look at the uniqueness, the one of a kindness. Right. He bought it, that, you know, and then that leads to the secret ballot and we get the one not guilty vote added to it. Yes. Right. Which I also love that it wasn't exactly the last one because I felt that's very, very filmically. You know, yes. want to make it the last one. Um, And then, of course, like, yes. And now that, you know, and now this is the whole point of the movie, like can we slowly win over the people? Mm -hmm. Um, And we do. And it's weird how we start to win people over. And it was just like that one racist guy making a comment. And then the other guy going, wait a second, I grew up. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, and and, then he shows him how to use the, an actual switchblade. Yeah. Like this is how you'd use it. Not like this. Well, he, the racist guy offends the slum guy. Yeah. And then he also offends juror 11. Who's like, like I like he keeps you know referring to others. He's basically yeah. he's othering. And then I love he, he goes he don't speak good English. He goes like he doesn't speak good English. And, and like oh, he, he corrects his English. I'm like that's fucking perfect. That's a great God, little moment that's right. in there. And then and then um, I'm sorry. I just I have so many notes. And like it's the way in which things are planted early on that pay off later. And they're small things like around this time we hear like you know everybody like I'm gonna kill you right. Everybody says that sometimes. And then. When Lee J. Cobb freaks out and says it, and he's like, "You're not really gonna kill me, are you?" And it's just like this. Oh my God! 
it's such and that moment and the other moment where Lee J. Cobb gets shown up where he's about the old man he doesn't know he doesn't have make sense half the time and oh, like yeah. he realizes he, that he's he puts blowing his own yeah. foot in his mouth yeah <sighs> which is great and and it works so well for his character now now I guess I'm gonna kind of skip oh no, no go ahead oh I and I was well I forget who I'm trying to think of what character it was but we start to kind of learn we hear little stories about these characters. Yeah. It helps us kind of understand Absolutely. them. Mm-hmm. And honestly, a lot of it is like, ah, okay. okay. Yeah. At least the, those were the moments I had. But there was one that was like um, the respect these days. Like we don't yes. get the respect. And that's, that's and then juror he, number three. My son, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Is that him? Yes. Okay. And that and that's that's the other plant. I'm gonna make a man or something. Yes, about yes. It. Like his son was nine. He ran away from a fight. And he's like, I was so embarrassed. Yes. And I'm gonna make a man out of him. And then like I hadn't. Uh, now we haven't talked in two years. Yeah. Or something. And it's like so. Here's now. I guess here's my question because I I I think ultimately the way in which the the story comes around. Juror number three basically realizes that he's he just wants to punish a young man. Like he wants to punish his son. Right. Um, that that's why he's been so stringent. Like he's basically trying to give a guilty verdict to his own son. He realizes that that's what he's doing. He says not guilty. And then we get the lovely moment with Henry Fonda getting his coat, putting it on him, walking him out. And then obviously, and then do you know what the last person on screen in the movie is? Lee J. Cobb. He's the last one on the steps oh, as it, as it cuts. To, I didn't even see that. So I think the payoff is all great there. And I guess it's tough because I don't want to say that this is flimsy, but it's like, we've just seen the movie. So taking a step back from it, do we buy at the end of it now that juror number three is really just so pissed because he's mad at his son? And I'm I'm not leading, I'm not trying to lead you to an answer. I'm just wondering like how, how strong of a reason is that to you when you hear that? I mean, I believe, I believed it. I I did too. Clearly this man has aggression. Yes. Oh, and it's yeah. not toward this this kid mm-hmm. on tr- but he's putting it all there. And and just how he says things. He's he and he, it, he, it gets so blatant where he's like I don't want to hear this, just the facts. And he says that even though it's like they just pretty much made it that those facts don't aren't facts anymore, yeah. you know? Um he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it. And he's not forced to hear it until he pretty much says it himself at the end. So in that moment, yes, I believed it. And and it was almost like a, I mean, God, the aftermath of what this man is now going to have to go through, honestly, because mm. now this just opened up a whole sea to things for him, yeah. number three. Yeah. But... I almost felt like it was like a just a like in the end when Henry Fonda goes to get him his jacket, he doesn't even want like you could tell he's like still in his moment of like I just said not guilty, but like there's so much shit going on in his head. Yeah. The way he takes the jacket, he doesn't really acknowledge you could tell he's still like, fuck you. Yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of like, whoa, just like his body language yeah. alone after and, that moment was like, what the fuck is he going to do and, when he goes home? Like, you know yes, what I mean? Yes. And and like, again, that's another thing. It's like you take an inexperienced actor in that moment and they're probably going, 
okay, I just made this decision. I need to feel sad. I'm sad. I'm, oh, I can't believe it, whatever. But an experienced actor is actively thinking about the relationship with his son. What, like, was I going to convict this man? Like, like the active thinking in that moment, because what's great is like, there's a moment where he doesn't realize that that journey is behind him. Not, it's not a big moment, but like he kind of realizes it and then kind of yeah. accepts it. But like, that's that, like, like a good actor is still in the, in the given circumstances yeah. of like working this shit out with his son for like via oh, this trial. Like, yeah. And it opens up this, this just whole new can of like, does, I mean, does this man go and even try to work stuff up out with his son or now is he even like just more pissed at what he was doing to this poor guy? You know who, I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, anyways, I know that the, that's not what it's about, but, well, but, or, it is, but, but it is, you know, yeah. but, um, he, that was a powerful, powerful performance for sure. I didn't like the character. No, by but any that's, means, but that's always, I think that's a good sign though. Yeah. It's like, like to be so riveted by somebody who you don't like. And you know what? Okay. This movie, watching it, and obviously in the times we're in now, it's very relevant. It was hard to see some of these characters and have like moments of like, I have one of them in my life. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. I know. And almost thinking like, oh my God, in this situation, if you were on a like, it was like disgusting in a way. Like, you, does this does that make sense? Oh like, it's no, like, it does. And, um, and I and you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote juror number ten. Just some of the things that he said in that moment. They don't need a reason to kill. They drink all the time. They're violent by nature. Human life doesn't mean as much to them. So I, I want to talk about this moment first and what you were just talking about, and then I want to talk about the reaction. Um, so you bring up a good point about people like this guy journalist who are out there today you know what makes makes it even more sad is i feel like a juror like that today wouldn't back down yeah a juror like that today wouldn't like he'd see these 11 people walk away and he'd be like fuck you hung jury i'm not changing my mind yeah which is also why this is almost like a fable this this movie do you know what i mean like it's it's something to strive towards because clearly in the time since this came out we haven't actually gotten to this point yet yeah where we can listen and compromise and and that's 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 a problem um can we talk about what my favorite my favorite shot of the movie is oh let's talk about it when they all walk away from him oh that I don't care how theatrical it is. I fucking love it. That was a wow moment. Yeah. I said something. I can't remember what I said. I like, I think I was like in shock. I was like, are they all turning their backs or, and we don't hear from him after that. No, nope. Which I have to say like, Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. Like (laughs) for, God, this movie. <laughs> yeah. That was powerful. But yeah, he sits in that chair and you don't, he, it's, it's a man that can't shut up and the stuff that's coming in his mouth is so disgusting. And then 
you get 11 other men to get him to shut up and sit there and like feel that. Yeah. And I like, I, what wow. I, I think, like, and two, two things about that moment that I really, really enjoy is that juror number three is one of the first ones to, to, to move, which I find interesting, mm-hmm. which, which makes it clear to me that for him, it's not an issue of race which I think is an important thing to know that like, I, I think his struggle is, is his own personal thing with his son. Yeah. But the other thing is that juror number four, who's also been guilty for most of this is the last person that, that juror 10 talks to. He's like, yes, we heard you now. Don't talk for the rest. Like it's just, yeah. it, that was such a great, great moment too. I mean, that's, here's the thing is like this movie, like there are very, very few things that I don't like about this movie. Right. And, and they're mostly like, can I get, I'm going to give you one. Yeah, I was going to say, please tell me what's something you didn't like. Sometimes the rain is too loud. <laughs> like be, for a movie that is so talk heavy, the rain is a bit too loud as they're doing it. Like, okay, we, we don't need that okay. now. Now you, you, and you're smirking at me I because, <laughs> because what a small nitpick thing yeah. to bring up. But that's what I mean. This movie is so good that I have to resort to the the sound of the rain, now, babe. Do you want to know something really funny that I commented? <laughs> I, I can't on. I can't wait. Yes. So my second note was the fan doesn't work. Yes. That's that doesn't sound right. And then right under it I wrote, there's no lights on. <laughs> and then to find out when they finally turn the lights on yep. and you get juror number eight or six or whatever. Oh, seven, seven. Seven. Of course, it's the one I didn't say. And he goes and flips the fan on and he's like, ah, he says a line about, um, oh gosh, what does he say? He basically and, just says. Anyways, he's like, I didn't know the light was set, you know. It was, they were on the same I, circuit or whatever. Yes. And I, I was like. This, they just needed a woman in there. They just needed a woman in there because right off the bat. And then and then I was like, wow, would I trust any of these people being jurors? If they couldn't figure out how to turn a fan on. Uh, that's true. That's true. Um, anyway, stubborn I, men. It goes with you've got a lot of stubborn men in there that yeah, are just that's not. True. <laughs> but women can't be in charge because of their periods and I, stuff because they're so irrational. <laughs> um, I just thought that was funny. The, the, my second and third note were one of my my favorite small lines in there is is the the juror seven's throwing the piece of paper bounces off and hits the old guy, and I just love it's like well that's a damn stupid thing to do. I just like that's perfect old man talk. I also love so in the in the original teleplay version, um, juror number eight is essentially the one who pushes forward a lot of the. Um, let's talk about the old man and how fast he could walk. Let's talk about the woman and her eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. But what I love is that juror number eight is is the voice of reason. He's the one who starts this, but he's not the one who continually perpetuates it. He starts it, and then it's it's the other people who start to notice the things. Yes, and I I love that um, because it, it it could be so preachy. If it was, if it was just juror number eight, you could, you could feel a bit like, almost like, okay, okay, I get it. You're like, but the fact that it's, it's like this natural progression of people mm-hmm. starting to notice and pinpoint and be like, no, I noticed that too. And they're like, they, like, they get all excited about it because they realize that they were being very passive as jurors, basically. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's, I, I really love that. When Henry Fonda 
God, he just starts when he's talking and he's trying to explain like the first time he's giving his like trying to point it out. And he's like, it's possible. Yes, it's possible. Mm -hmm. And he said it quite a few times. Yes, he did. I'm just like, oh, my God. All he has to do is repeat that for every time he said it. Did it just it felt heavier and heavier. And I was like, what? Just strong words. Yeah. And and how they were used. And then just like watching the room. Yeah. How each character or actor, you know, took those words in was so telling, but also so just like. Oh, like yeah. grotesque I mean, in a way too. Cause he's just trying to say, is there doubt? Is yeah. there doubt? Yeah. If well, we can prove that there's not, then there you go. But like, there, um, there were a lot of things I, I wrote. I wrote like truth versus fact a lot. Mm-hmm. I wrote Americans versus others, but also the, the, cause since you brought up, I like, I wrote possible versus probable. Mm-hmm. And like, like is, is it, is it possible or is is it is it probable that um the old man could make it to the door to open it in time sure but then they talk about like how possible is it like or is it possible that like that the kid did lose the knife and like and the this whole idea of reasonable doubt yeah and like it's just one of those things where these again i, I know we we've said this a bunch of but like these 11 guys were were so set and like and it seemed like really that they all had some kind of reasonable doubt before they got into the jury room. And yet they were still willing to go. And, and again, maybe this is uh, far-fetched, although there's a, uh, there is one tr- fact I want to read because I thought this was interesting. Um, so I'm just going to read this verbatim. Uh, speaking at a screening of the film in 2010 at Fordham University Law School, uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor stated that seeing this film in college is what influenced her to pursue a career in law. Uh, she was particularly uh, inspired by the immigrants monologue um, on his reference for the American justice system. She said that um, as a, as a lower court judge, she would sometimes instruct juries to not follow the film examples because most of the jurors conclusions are based on speculation, not fact. Um, uh, and said that juror number eight's entering a similar knife into the proceeding, doing the outside research um, as a whole um, is uh, would never be allowed in a real life thing and in fact would have resulted in mistrial and, and like talked about it yeah. like legitly but like but still like the the idea for justice and like and like the way of opening things up and obviously there are things that like that happened in the film in the jury room that would have like not been cool right um obviously it's a, it's a film and all that stuff but i just would like you know real supreme court justice was inspired by this movie um and then there were lines like it's not easy to stand alone against press persecution mm-hmm. and he can't hear you. He never will. Yeah. Um, gosh, uh, prejudice always obscures the truth. Yeah, That was, I had, that was the next one like, I was going to say. God, just the, that, yeah. that might be the, the line of the movie. Oh, prejudice I, always obscures the truth. That was my last note. Because I, I just was like that. I can't after that. Like that. Yeah. Just. And I love. I love too. I think the last big like revelation moment uh, of the glasses and the indents and like, of course you don't sleep with your glasses on and like. And if she said that she rolled over and saw it, no, she would have had to have reached over and gotten her glasses. Right. 
you know, and if she's in the dark, if she can't see, it's not like, it's not instantaneous. If, if it was like a split second, of course. And like, and again, does anybody know specifically? No, but you, but that's the whole point is you have to raise these questions. And, and that was actually, I want to go, I mean, I don't have much more to say, but I want to go back to the beginning of the movie, which is like, does it, would, would you hate to be a court appointed attorney? Because I feel like they get shit on all the time. And I understand, like, from, from okay, I should say, from what I understand, yeah. they, their caseload is high. Some people they don't even meet until they get to the court. court. Um, and, like, if, and I just feel like, th- and of course, we don't know anything of the backstory, but if this kid is on, on trial for murder with a court appointed attorney, and obviously it's indicative of the time, right. but still, it's just so brutal. I mean, it's, they're, they definitely have to like go on oath, the attorneys yeah. that they're, they're there for their client. Yes. But yes, a lot of times they, um, they, do, they, they don't have all the, I shouldn't say all the facts. They, they don't get to meet them. They're given what they're given and that's that. Yeah. And so in this case, let's just say that this kid's attorney met him day of and these were the facts that were given. You think he had time to sit there and research or well, focus? Or, uh, what's like, what's terrible is it, also I don't know. what what this implies, though, is like because I understand like if you if you're arrested for something and you have a court date and you get a court appointed attorney that like it might be the simplest thing where it's like, what did you do? Okay, got it. We're going to plead guilty. You're going to do this. And it never goes to court. And that, like, not really, right? You get your your punishment and then that's it. But like, they said it like it was three months since like oh, since the event. Right. Yeah. And like, if if you're still stuck with, and just the way that they talk about how like their opinion of his attorney was that he didn't do very much of his job. It's like, again, you just feel so bad for this kid who, and, and like you get enough of his backstory, right? His, his, he was in an orphanage for a while while his dad was in jail and like his mom was died beaten. Was, yeah. It's he got like, hit every, you know, and that's what's sad is they keep pointing to this and it's like, they keep saying like, look where he comes from. And then the, the quotes, like the slums, their breeding grounds for, what, yeah. And well, like, and isn't it? Oh my God. People, first of all, people can change and like well, give true. them the opportunity yeah. to change. You don't get to pick who your family is. So like if you're born into this and this poor kid is born into getting beat every day. Yeah. And, and then, oh gosh, another line that made me mad was, okay, so the people that were like for him being guilty only wanted to like press and stick to points that they, I guess, were really behind. Mm-hmm. And and they would also be like, but this is what she said. She said, or he said it was 15 seconds, yeah. 15 seconds, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, she rolled over and saw him in one second. Um, but then, you know, when, um, oh God, I had a point, I swear to God. When. Well, it, part of what I was going to say that's that was related to that is. So we've got. You know, I think they're trying to, some of the people are trying to be like, well, look at his background. Like, look, you know, and they talk about like, well, being beaten is no reason to, to like kill your father. But it's also like, but that's also like, that's, that's the people you're guilty. Like, that's no reason to do it. But then they want to blame his background on why he did it. 
But like, but they, they want to blame his race, but they don't want to blame his upbringing. Yes. And, and sorry, that's what I was trying to get at. Thank you. Was they, they, they stuck on words, but yet when the words didn't all of a sudden fit their story. So they were saying, they were explaining this poor kid's like background and his upbringing. And, and um, he said, and he hit his, his dad hit him. And then the other guy was like, no, he said punched. His dad punched him. And he was hit, punch, slap, whatever. Yeah. Like, yes. And it's like, oh, okay. So now all of a sudden you can be like, well, whatever. But like, no, yeah. a, a hit or a slap is way different when, and then with, a, than a punch. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No. I, and I don't, I just didn't like how they just immediately thought, well, he's bad because of where he's from. He's bad because he's done bad things. And the, the one of the most powerful lines is, um, uh, I think it was Henry Fonda's character who said, people make mistakes. Like it was just so simple as like, and it wasn't even like a big point. It was like a flyby. Somebody just said it like people make mistakes. And it's like they, everybody makes mistakes yeah. on a daily basis. And it's people that can like own them or can change. And it was just, it's just sad because, you know, there are people that just like this poor kids, like he could have totally been just a product of yeah that. Yeah. Even though he's really innocent or he didn't do, you know what I mean? Like he wanted to be better, but because that's just where he is, he just, yeah. I don't know. I want to, I want to shout out um, our guy, Jack Warden, who plays juror seven, the guy who wants to get to the baseball game. He's in. So this last weekend, you let me watch. I, I you gave me time because you do this sometimes to watch a movie during the day. And I watched the verdict, which is another Sidney Lumet film, which is based on a court. It's a, another court case. And I think I described the plot a little bit. It's about this woman who was given anesthesia, uh, when she's pregnant and then she ends up going into a coma out of it because it was given to her at the wrong time. And mm-hmm. Paul Newman plays this attorney who's a alcoholic and he's trying to kind of fight his way back. And he knows that, that this is a case worth fighting for. And they're different in tone. And obviously it's a different side. It's a lawyer versus the jury, but these character number eight and Paul Newman's character in the verdict are the, very much these guys. Like I need to like to prove them. I need, I need to get this through. And, um, I, I think that's a that's actually a great double feature, both because they're they're law related, but also they're Sidney Lumet films and two great, just great leading performances in, in, yeah. in both of these movies. Um, I have one more thing I want to bring up, but I want to ask you a couple of questions, which is, um, do you have a favorite shot or moment in 12 Angry Men? Um, gosh, my favorite. I don't know if I have like my favorite shot mm-hmm. um if if i had to pick one it, it was a split moment when it was panning the room before mm-hmm. anybody got in there okay and it just set the space because in that moment i was like yes i just knew we're not leaving this room yeah and when they leave this room the movie will end like i just especially from how it started and that's a small space and to be confined in that yeah that space with this hot of a topic, I think that, and just the, the quietness of that brief moment. Like I liked that. Um, gosh, my favorite moment. There were a few of them, but I think probably the most powerful one that stands out to me is when every person moved yeah. away from that table. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's iconic. It's, it's great. Yeah. And, and, 
So um, I said my I said my and you I was, I'm going to get to your unsung hero here in a sec. I know my I said my on screen one was Lee J Cobb. You don't have to have an off screen one, but my off screen one is is Boris Kaufman, who's the the cinematographer. Okay. And usually when we talk about cinematography, we talk about it in terms of like the lighting or the the way that it looks. But managing this room and making us really feel like we're in there. I mean, I know Lamette as a director gets a lot of the credit, and he does. But like Boris Kaufman, fucking. Like the way that we've and and I didn't t- I didn't bring this up, but I think this is a great thing. So when the movie starts, you mentioned how like the kind of pans or it, it starts the camera's up high a lot, yes, and it's far away, and eventually the camera not only gets closer to people, but it becomes more eye level, and mm-hmm. then even b- below, right? And that it's a slow progression throughout the movie, and it's subtle, but it works really, really fucking well. So who manages the thermostat? Oh wow! On set here, great question. But I, I, I want you to expand on that before I try to give you an answer. <laughs> because I absolutely, it's like I abs. Oh my god! I absolutely loved how hot everybody was, like sweaty, and it was realistic. It was so real. I mean, they were they were actually sweating. Yeah, and then it came onto their clothes and they let that live there and like breathe and show. And like Mm -hmm. at first, you know, obviously my first reaction was like that costume designer is amazing, you know, but then the, I I think my, if I were to go into my off screen unsung hero, I don't know why that's a tongue twister for me, (laughs) (laughs) um, would be the entire design team so i'm i'm looking at imdb they don't have a costume designer listed um but so in terms of your your sweat question let's let's give some some credit to these people how about this uh bob markle was the uh production designer he created the room and stuff um maybe give a little credit to uh herman buchman who was the makeup designer because i feel like that how they look is going to be some of that right but also let's go let's go with faith hubley who is the script supervisor because that's continuity and that's making sure that it all is going to look the same throughout. I was amazed to find out that this was not shot chronologically. Oh my. Okay. I was, Oh, I was just going to ask you. I was like, so they, (laughs) the, okay. Going back to, they spent days rehearsing this. Mm -hmm. I could have sworn you were going to say they did this in like five takes. They did it like a play (laughs) because I mean, and I look at stuff like that. Yeah. I look at like they had he had the sweat around his tie. He yeah. And that play when it showed up, it didn't go away. Yeah. For the rest of it, like, wow, that is detail. Oh yeah, yes. Um, I'm impressed. So that's who. Yeah, I give. Awesome. So then the the last thing I wanted to bring up and it's only it's relevant to us. But do I get to say who my unsung hero was? Oh, sorry. Oh, for on on screen. screen. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, obviously Henry Fonda, but I feel like he's sung sung. plenty enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It would be number three. The guy at the end. Lee J. Cobb. Same with me. And I did not want to write that. I didn't want to write that because I real I did not like this character. The character disgusted me. And honestly, up until the end, and this is where I feel like such a hypocrite because I'm like, people are supposed to change. You can like, you can let people change, but then like, not him. Like, it's okay to not like him even if he does change. Like, it's this is where I'm a hypocrite. That's just 
powerful. And well, I have a hard time looking at, at like, <laughs> hard no. time looking at characters that yeah. are bad going, I love that. Because I, when they're good at being bad, yeah. you it, hate them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then to stop and go like, that was powerful. You don't want to. But, and that's where all of a sudden I like have a hard time disconnecting. <laughs> so, but so, so let's, let's stick with this for just a second though, okay. because so you're having a hard time deciding whether or not you think juror number three leaves a changed person. Yes. Right. Okay. I, I just want to make sure we yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's over here. Juror number 10, the racist. Yeah. Do you think he leaves changed? No. Okay. I don't either, which is also why in a way he's not my unsung hero because right. he doesn't really have an arc. He, he gets embarrassed. He's in a way that he's, he's sort of, uh, He's led to a not guilty decision, but I don't think he really wants to do it. But like, because so, so here, okay. So here, so I think, I think the villain, okay. I don't know how to say this exactly. I think our villain is obviously juror number three. He's the most adamant. He's the last holdout, right? Juror number 10 is like, I, I don't even know, like just an asshole, right? Yeah, I think... Okay. I would think he got, he was embarrassed. He was like, I'm too old for this shit. I'm done. I don't, obviously nobody's listening to him anymore. Yeah. He thought he was saying it all and people were following him. And like, I honestly, I think embarrassment is the biggest part. Yeah. Yeah. He did not leave there going, I'm going to not be racist. I'm going to be kind and loving he was like, I'm never going to see you all again yeah. on to the next. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. He's, he's lived life and it's kind of like, I don't think he would change. But I do. But I think, I think. I want to hope. Yeah. And see, and like, Number I know, th- I know that you like a neat wrapped up ending, but this is one of those ones where I think you have to assume that he is going to change. I want to hope that. I also like. It's just hard to watch this and watch, hear him say some of the things he said and then try to take it out on some innocent kid because he, I'm like totally doing blanket statements here, but like fucked up his own relationship with his own son. And now he's going to take, it's just disgusting. uh, Yes, it is. And it makes you wonder. I don't want. Like it's, it's like, I don't want to like him because he's like really changed, you know? Yes. And this is where I'm saying I'm a hypocrite because you know me in real life. I'm, I, all I, I feel like I'm very trustworthy and trusting of people and give them the benefit of the doubt. And like, you mess up. Okay. Like, but like something like this, I'm like, wow. How do you. So, okay. So I don't know. My. My, now have, this is becoming like a no, personal. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I have I have two last thoughts, and and the thing that's going to connect them is the O.J. Simpson Made in America documentary. Okay, and here's the two things why. The first thing is there is a moment in the documentary where they interview one of the jurors, and she and I'm going to misquote her, but base I'm going to paraphrase. She basically says that like we we voted not guilty because it was a way. To like it, it wasn't necessarily that we thought he was not guilty. It was a way to find some kind of justice for basically being black and living in LA for a very long period of time. And that was like 
jurors are not infallible, right? They are bringing all of their personal right. stuff into the room, right? So being a juror is is an important piece of our American judicial system, but it is flawed because we as humans are flawed. So it made me in that and like it that that what she said reminds me a lot of juror number three, right? We we inherently are going to bring our own shit into the room. But the other thing that the OJ thing made me thought think of is that there's a I think it's our ad exec guy early on says I'll tell you we were lucky to get a murder case. Oh my god! And it just it was like even back then we as as as, as I'm going to say Americans are just fascinated by like oh. A murder case, and like, and I also think it's relevant because how many we just recently watched two I know limited so Netflix series those. on yes. true crime things, like, and, and I, that, I don't think that's bad, but it's also just like how fascinated we are with that as a subject. Yeah, this is yeah, this was a powerful movie, and I'm I'm interested to watch it again and feel I because I feel like this movie. And you're you've seen it a few times mm-hmm. and spread out. It's do you get just a deeper feel for it each time you watch it? Because I feel like next time I watch this, it's gonna sink to another level of like like I just feel like is this the right word? This movie is like timeless. Yes. And as time I, goes on and as things I, happen in the world, and then you come back and watch this, it's like I hope we get to a day. Where when, we can watch this and go, whoa, so what the fuck? Er, earlier this, go- you know what I mean? Yes, like, earlier this season when we did do the right thing, uh, I'm not going to say that I coined this phrase, but that same thought came up. And I and w- the similarities that I would say for this one too is they're not just timeless, they're unfortunately timeless. Yeah. They're timeless for the wrong reasons. Right. And, and that, that's what makes them powerful, but also makes us as a society reflect back and go like... And, and do the right thing was like we want to move away from that and right. we haven't in 12 angry men it's like we should be striving for this and yet we we haven't right so yeah is it timeless yes but at this point it's still unfortunately timeless because because it is yeah um so uh i guess i just get to i get to ask this for the record now um melissa should 12 angry men be in the book. Yes, it should. I agree. Um, I think this movie is meant to be inspirational. I know, I, and, and Henry Fonda is obviously known for playing Tom Joad in Grapes of Wrath, which is also, well, that was one of our earliest episodes mm-hmm. we did. Um, and he has a very, very impactful speech, you know, wherever hungry children are, I'll be there. He's But like, to me, I, this is the Henry Fonda performance and he, and his career has spanned decades. Yeah. And, and I, and I, if you want to go with this or you want to go with my darling Clementine or young Mr. Lincoln or whatever, like he's got plenty of films to pick from. But for me, this is the Henry Fonda film. Is it my favorite Lamette film? No, but it's, it's like two or three. It's, it's a great movie. It's, and it, it, it also touches my heart because it's, it's a, it's very theatrical. Mm-hmm. It, it just feels very staged and um and like we were talking about it it's it it's a movie that gives us something to strive towards um and i think this is a great way to honor honor our good friend who isn't here mm-hmm. anymore um so that is a yes 
from both of us on 12 Angry Men. But as always, we would love to hear what you think. So you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know what you think of 12 Angry Men. Is this your favorite Lamette? Is it your favorite um, Henry Fonda movie? Let us know. Um, you can uh, also contact us at 1001by1 at gmail.com. You can find us on all the major places where you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those things. Um, and uh, please stay tuned next week. We're going to jump five years into the future uh, to one of the biggest historical epics of all time in Lawrence of Arabia. That will be next week. Also a guest that on that episode too. Um, Melissa, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. For being on the show. Yeah. Our first our first guest on these the seven episode stretch. Um, my name is Adam. And um, thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>